You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. We're in week two of a series of unfortunate events where we're jumping into the story of a young man named Joseph. And what we're finding out is something that many of us know currently or from the past or we will know in the future, that life, our lives included, can lead to a series of unfortunate events. But that's okay because our God is with us and he's working in those events to bring about authentic, deeply rooted hope in him. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39. If you like the tangible feel of a Bible, go ahead and open that up or get your device. And it's going to be Genesis 39. Remember, Genesis is in the first part of the Bible we call the Old Covenant. It's actually the first book of our Bible, Genesis chapter 39. And we'll get involved with the story. But before we do, a little note about a relationship I was in. Michelle, I see you up in the balcony. This predates you. I don't know if you know about this or not. Um, Maybe this was a bad idea. No, I'm just kidding. I sorted it out. So I was working out uh, my faith. It was in a season of life to where I was trying to figure out what faith really is, who this unseen God is, what this book we call the Holy Bible is, and it's supposed to have power or authority, and I'm supposed to follow its ways. I was figuring out the Holy Spirit and what it meant to be led by him and how the Holy Spirit convicts and guides and nudges. The whole church scene, really getting clear in my mind and sorting that out. So I'm in this relationship with this girl and read between the lines, she wants to take it to the next level, if you get what I'm saying. So I worked for a guy who was in the business of laying carpet. And do you know if you're in the right area, laying carpet, man, you can make a ton of cash. Did you know that? A lot of money. I mean, it's hard work. You've seen some of those rolls that those guys carry up and everything. So I'm working with the guy, kind of helping him out and some good money involved, having a good time. Well, when I first hired on with him, it was because he was a Christian and I was looking for a Christian boss, someone a little older than me. And he was double my age, someone that could build into me. I could share what's going on and they could kind of take me by, take me under their wing and guide me in this faith that is fresh to me. So I'm having breakfast with this one guy, and I can still see us sitting there. We went on the, in his van on the drive-thru in a Hardee's, pulled over in the parking lot. We're gnashing some breakfast out before we go to our job. And I have this deal with the lady who wants to take the relationship to the next level. So I start sharing that part of my life with him. And in the midst, gosh, I can see this so clearly. This guy really thought that his advice was right. I could tell that it seemed right to him. So I give him the spill and he says, well, David, listen, it's, it's simple. You need to take it to the next level or she's going to leave. So what do you think I did? Luckily, I had someone else coming alongside of me and telling me something else because I thought he would say, well, you know what? You're a follower of Jesus. You're not better than anyone, but life looks a little differently for you now that you're following this guy, Jesus. But he didn't say that. He said, go ahead and take it to the next level. But thankfully, I had someone else speaking into my life, and I ditched the relationship because she wanted to take it to the next level, and I didn't think that I could do that as a follower of Jesus. You know, there's a proverb about that. Proverbs 14.12, this is from another Old Testament section of the Bible. 14.12 says, there is a way that seems right. Life's lined up. It makes sense. There's a feeling to it. And it seems right to a man, 
But in the end, when it all plays out, shakes out, it leads to death. What do you think about that? In their book, Authentic Human Sexuality, A Christian Approach, Judith and Jack Balswick, they write this. They say, recognizing we have a unique life to live. Yours is different from mine and vice versa. We find ourselves in different situations, different vans having breakfast with different bosses. We have a unique life to live that is not like any other. We must remain grounded in Christ in our particular life circumstances. So we got this guy, Joseph, and he's his dad's favorite, youngest of several brothers. His dad loves him so much because he's kind of the baby. Like last week, we looked at how he created this great, we call it a robe, which some of you know it as a coat of many colors, and he gives it to his son, and that becomes this visual symbol that dad loves him more. So the brothers are filled with jealousy and hate. So they make a plot to kill the guy. Luckily, the older brother, Reuben, comes in and says, no, 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 time out. Let's rethink this. Let's not kill him. Let's not take his life. So they beat him up and they throw him in this water jug and then they send him off into kind of old, old school slavery, if you will. So he, when the story ends, we see him on his way out of his father's household into a land called Egypt. And that's all we know. So what's up with this guy? A series of unfortunate events. Now, what happens when we come to Genesis 39, things have changed. God seems to be back in his life. He had dropped this dream in his mind, and now God has helped him climb the corporate ladder. Joseph's high up in the company, and he's got some perks. He's working for a guy named Potiphar, and he's in charge of everything that Potiphar owns. And here's what happens, Genesis 39. Now, Joseph, he was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. I think there's a couple of things going on here. This gal, for her, this way of life seems right. There's something I want, I'll go after it. It's just natural. That's how life works. That's what we do in our circumstances. But then you've got this guy, Joseph, and some of you, I bet some of you know this really, really well. You're in a position where you've got a little bit of authority. You've got some power. And maybe it's your career, your life status of some sort. And just because you are who you are and where you are, you have opportunities that come and they hand themselves over to you. You don't have to go out looking for temptation or trouble. It finds you. I was so thankful to read a story about this guy's openness, his honesty. Megachurch pastor some years ago, he was talking about being in his office one day and not really sure how the gal actually got into his office, but he's seated, seated at his desk, door opens, lady comes in and her first move was to start undressing. His very first move was to get up, go out to the secretary and say, get this woman, call security, get her out of my office. Nothing else can happen or seem to happen. You know, I think sometimes there's this line in the sand that needs to be drawn. And for some reason, whether it's the times or the culture or just broken humanity, that's becoming a lost line. So what about you? I bet some of you can really relate. Just because you are who you are, there's opportunities there for you. And maybe it seems right for you to take advantage of them and lean into them. And you're totally oblivious to the fact that in the end, it's going to lead to death. 
It's not going to work out when this plays out. So what does Joseph do? He has kind of two responses, and I think they're both extremely powerful. We keep, keep going in the story. So she offers Joseph, hey, come to bed with me. And the very next thing he says to her, and when I read this story, I just think it's dripping with what we call in leadership circles, advanced decision making where you decide up front what's going to be a part of your life and what is not. I don't think Joseph is speaking off the cuff here. This is a guy who has worked through where he is, where he came from, and where he thinks he may be going. He's taking a holistic view of life. So he says, with me in charge, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. I think that's human, humanity speaking. And maybe it wasn't just Joseph. Maybe this gal was well-built and beautiful. And maybe Joseph felt that tug or that attraction toward her. But he decided in his mind that there's no way he's going to cross that line advanced decision-making. There's another proverb about this, Proverbs 11.3. It says the integrity, and sometimes we use this word and we think morality, ethical, what's right, what's wrong, but also has the connotation of wholeness. What is good for you, the integrity or the strength of something. So the integrity of the upright guides them. So you find yourself in a compromised situation or a situation where life is just handing you something and it seems right, you've already made that decision. Do you hear that sound sometimes when we're doing communion? We're taking the Lord's Supper around here. Do you hear that sound? Every time I hear it, it's not frequently, but every time I hear it, I love it because every single week we sit here and they pass these trays around with this juice and this bread and we take it to remember Jesus Christ and his body, how he died for us and spilled his blood, poured his blood out to cover our sins. And I love the double-fold nature of that because you can look back. You're seated there and you've got this juice and you've got this bread and you've just ate the bread and you're about to drink the juice. You've got this little cup there. And maybe you're thinking about something a long time ago or maybe it was something just last week. But something happened. And this reminder that God is with you, he loves you, and he died for you. He's for you. And then you hear these sounds and I imagine that people are really connecting with what happened and how they're thinking God is dealing with that. But also you're looking forward and you hear that sound. You know what I'm talking about? That where someone breaks it. They break this cup kind of as a symbol that they're breaking the hold of sin in their life through the power of Jesus Christ. I love that sound. And it makes me think that not only are we looking back, we're looking forward to later today, Tuesday, Friday, before we get together next Sunday, and we're deciding up front that we've started following this guy, Jesus, and he gives us power to go ahead and decide in advance what's going to be a part of our lives and what will not be a part of our lives. I think uh, one of the authors, I believe it was Mark Driscoll, uh, he got fired from his church, so I don't know if I should be quoting him, right? But I think it was just being rough and tough in the leadership position. But I remember reading through one of his books, and he was talking about pornography. 
And this is one of the statements that I read, and I think I'm going to give him all the credit for this. Because when I read this statement, I thought, that's it. And I'm going to make sure that I kind of come under that umbrella because I do not want this kind of sexuality to go askew in my life. I don't want pornography to get its claws on me and grip in and just hold on. But I was reading through and he wrote this. He simply said, you know what? I decided up front that I'm not going to be the porn guy. I love that statement. I decided that this is not going to be a part of my life and he just cracks the cup. That's Joseph. Yeah, you're pretty. Yeah, I can probably get away with this. Nobody would ever know. But there's no way that I'm going there. I've already decided. That's his first response. His second response, verse, 30, uh, verse 9. And then he says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, let's talk real for just a moment. These aren't my words. This is the words of Scripture, the Holy Bible, the authority of people who follow Jesus. Or if you want to call Christianity a religion, this is our textbook speaking. So Joseph deduces that if he does cross this line, he calls it wicked. It's evil. It's not good in any shape or form. No twisting it can make it good. It's wicked. And then he classifies it as a sin against God. That's powerful. Well, some of you Bible scholars know that we jumped from Genesis 37 to Genesis 39. We left out 38. You might ask, well, why'd we do that? Well, if you read Genesis 38, and I know some of you, as soon as you leave here, you go to your D groups, you go to your Bible study groups, you take your Bible to lunch with you at whatever restaurant, and you just open it and you pour over it. Yeah, I'm joking. It's okay if you don't do that. But I know that you reconnect with Scripture. And if you read through Genesis 38, you see that that chapter has nothing to do with Joseph. Instead, it has to do with one of his brothers named Judah who gets caught up in this twisty kind of sin with someone. And there's one big reason that stands out. If you've got one of those Bibles and it has the notes at the bottom or the commentaries, a lot of scholars say one of the reasons that text is in there is to contrast Joseph's brothers with Joseph. Joseph's brothers who beat him up, sent him away, not interested in the dream that God had given Joseph. That's the brothers. Joseph, on the other hand, has this high view of God where he says, this is my God, I'm following him. And I will come and follow him. I will come under his ways. I will move his purposes, purposes forward. I will be for him. That's powerful. So you read something, it's probably in your notes too, in your study Bible, if you read a commentary on Genesis. And the deduction is this. Chapter 38 shows that the covenant people of God, and hear me clearly, the covenant people of God have to live differently. Culture, we live in culture, but we do not live by culture. There's a line that should be drawn in the sand and it's being removed, it's being erased. The text says it would be wicked and sinful against God for Joseph to make that move. When you and I become followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible says we come out from the world and we're not better, we're not superior, 
We don't look down on anyone, but we do live differently, especially when it comes to a sexual ethic. We live differently. One of my favorite authors, Robert Mulholland, he writes this. He says, we must nurture, and whatever the nurture would look like for you, we must nurture a deep desire. So in your spiritual formation, your spiritual disciplines, your practices of reading and prayer and quiet time and solitude, however that plays out for you, you must nurture a deep desire. It's got to be a priority for God to take what we are and make us what he wants us to be. That's got to be a goal. We've got to come under his authority, what he wants us to be. So I think something else is going here. That's why I love scripture. Scripture has this continual thread to it where it all fits together and coalesces. In the New Testament, there's a guy in the New Testament named the Apostle Paul, and he wrote a bunch of the stuff in the New Testament, like anything you would call a letter that's outside of the Gospels or Acts or some of the stuff that's toward the end of your Bible. This guy, Paul, he wrote it. And he's writing to a church that was in an ancient town called Corinth. And he wrote a couple of letters to them. In the first letter, he makes this statement that sounds strikingly similar to what Joseph is saying. If I cross this line, Joseph says, that I'm going to sin against God, he designed things a certain way. He set things up to operate and work a certain way. He created this. So to go against it is to go against him. So he knows you and he knows me. So Paul comes along in 1 Corinthians 6. Notice this language. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Run away from it. Don't give it a second thought. Don't give it an opportunity. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins, notice this language, all other sins a man commits are outside of his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. That's powerful. And I firmly believe that that's one of the reasons that there is so much shame and guilt generated by a sexual sin. Now, some of us, we speed. You feel bad about it? No, if you get caught, you feel bad. Some of us can tell a white lie and we'll go on and not think anything else about it. But I'd like to see the person who gets off track here and there's no shame there's no guilt, there's no embarrassment, there's no weird feelings because it's not who we are. It's not who we were created to be. It's a sin against who we really are in God's eyes, who he's calling us back to be. To do this is to sin in a wicked way against God, who he created us to be. I know we live in culture, but when you start following Jesus, you're no better than anyone else. But there is a line, kind of a lost line now, where we live differently, especially when it comes to the sexual ethic. Now, what happens next is really interesting. Joseph rejects this gal's advances, and he gets in trouble for it. Thus, a series of unfortunate events. And he's actually going to go to jail for this because she's going to start spreading some rumors. Potiphar's going to come in and she's going to say, hey, um, Joseph tried to make these advances toward me. She's going to twist the story and Potiphar's going to send the guy off to jail, which is really interesting because, and this is a thought we're going to expound upon next week, you can be so right with God, but that doesn't mean you have peace with other people. 
there can be friction even if you're right with God. And that's what we'll unpack next week. But we jump back into the story, Genesis 39, moving forward a little bit. So she spoke to Joseph day after day. And may, may I insert this right now? I think this is where some of us drop the ball. Because some of you, whether it's that opportunity that you've been given just because you are who you are, something's come your way, you've got this great opportunity, and it seems right. Some of you have this day after day. And the easiest thing in the world would just be to indulge it and then move on. So you feel this burden day after day. He refused to go to bed with her. He persevered. And one day she called him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. Time out for just a moment. I want to do something just a little differently. Last week toward the end of the sermon, the end of the worship service, we created some space where you could pray in your mind, right there in your seat. Pray and connect with God and allow him to come into your heart, come into your mind and start doing that work that only he can do. Opening your eyes to these spiritual things, opening your eyes to his ways, moving his purposes forward. And it was a great response. So what we wanna do right now is create an opportunity for the rest of the time while we're doing this thing. Create an opportunity for you to do some active repentance. Active repentance. Uh, The word repent actually means to go the other way, or as in Joseph's case, to flee sexual immorality. And if someone says, hey, here it is, you leave whatever they have and you go. Let's do some active repentance. Because I bet if, if you were to repent, if you were to stop, or if you were to start, or if you were to bail on an offer, an opportunity that's right now, I bet repentance would wreck havoc on your life. Some of you are so established in your career or in your season of life that if you were to repent of a sin right now, it would destroy your schedule. It would mess with your reputation or your ego or it'd be so uncomfortable you just can't do it. So let's create some time right now. I want you, if this is speaking to you, I want you to start praying asking God to give you wisdom for your very next step. And your very next step may be reaching out to us. Uh, When I'm finished up here, I'll be to your right. I'd love to connect with you. You can fill out that connect card, put my name on it. We'll try to get in touch. You can set up an appointment out front in the office. But let us connect so that you don't cross that line because it may seem right. And this is an opportunity where God is getting involved in your psyche and saying, no, 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 no. If this plays out, It's going to lead to death. This isn't good. This isn't good. So we go on with the story. Genesis 39. Oh, excuse me. Go back one slide. Go back one slide. Remember last week we said we were going to start weaving in this verse from Romans chapter 5. And we looked at how Joseph was suffering. But it's okay because suffering produces perseverance. And the idea is that suffering produces If we can offer our suffering to God, it doesn't mean he's detached from us. He could actually be more involved in our lives than we even realize, and he can use our suffering to move his purposes forward. So as we're seeing with the life of Joseph, day after day he has this opportunity, day after day he has this temptation, and suffering, it produces perseverance. The ability to move on, even if something's delayed, like Joseph's dream, Hey, God, I thought you were going to come alongside me. Hey, God, I thought you were going to help. Hey, God, I thought this would move along a little quicker. 
Hey, God, I thought you had a plan for my life. Hey, God, where are you? Joseph got this dream some time ago. So you move forward in perseverance, and maybe this is where we drop the ball. Day after day is tough. So we move forward even if there's difficulty, even if there's delay. So now we jump back into the story. But, and you know what happens. Just like last week when the story ended, Joseph was sent off in this water jar, and the story ended. An unfortunate event. Now we read this story, you open it up, and you've got this phrase in it. And some of you very astute readers will notice that when you first start reading Genesis 39, there's this phrase that says, the Lord is with them. And you come to the close of Genesis 39, and the text once again says, the Lord is with them. So he takes them up. He's in charge. He's got a great position. He does what he should do. And then there's an unfortunate event. But regardless, while Joseph was in the prison, no matter what's going on in Joseph's life, no matter what's going on in your life, the ups and downs, the unfortunate events, the Lord was with him, and the Lord is with you, and the Lord is with me. He gave him success in whatever he did, and we'll unpack that next week. But when you think about this as we close, I think there's a couple of obstacles. Um, our friend here, our resident scholar, Dr. Dave Schreiner, uh, Dave teaches in the rock sometimes. If your child is in the rock and he sits under Dave's teaching, you should be so grateful. Just a great guy, great mind and heart for the scriptures. Dave says, you know, when you're reading the Bible, you have to use what the text gives you. Use what the text gives you. I think there's two obstacles to that. Here's the Bible. Here's how it reads. What do we do with it? The first obstacle, and some of you I know will scold me over this, is quantity over quality. That's one of the obstacles. There are so many great reading plans out there. Uh, some of you are benefiting from them, and if you are and you're growing, keep going. Don't give up. Um, one of them is, you know, read through the Bible in a year. And if that's working for you, really working for you, then lean into it. Finish this year out strong. Keep knocking it out. But sometimes we read for quantity over quality. There are times, and I kid you not, where I'm doing my spiritual formation, my quiet time, my Bible reading, and I can't get through a chapter not because I'm great or anything, but there's a word or there's a phrase or a thought idea and it grips me. And it may hang around with me for a few days, maybe a week, and I study that and I ponder that and I pray over that. Don't rush it. When you rush your time with the word, you rush God's activity in your life. Make sure you've got quality in your reading so that you're picking up on what the text is giving you. Second obstacle is need and solution. This right here is one of my best friends, especially recently. It's an albuterol inhaler. So it's actually a rescue inhaler. But for the past couple of months, it's become more of a daily dose inhaler. And my breathing's been a little wonky, a little off. And Michelle's kind of berating me to go and get it checked out. And in my mind, I'm the kind of guy who says, okay, I can't breathe really good. I've got an inhaler. I'll take that. Solves the problem. But Michelle's thinking, no, 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 no. You're not breathing. Your poor breathing recently is a symptom. There's something else going on. But it's so easy for me to just treat the symptom. Sometimes we have a need, and it's a perceived need. And we really think God can speak into it. 
Actually, we know he can. And sometimes this need is not just a need. Sometimes it's more of a, of a want or it's layered. We're not exactly sure what it is until we start searching scripture and we find out that the solution we want really isn't the one we expected. So we, chart, we start trying to search for things or twist things to treat the symptoms instead of the cause. When you approach scripture, take what the text gives you. And if it offers you a solution that you don't like, lean into that because that's what God wants to use to move you forward. So as we close this, there's a guy named Jamie Shoup. Jamie Shoup. And I had to do a little research because I wasn't really sure on what all the terminology meant, but he gives a kind of a brief recap of his life. And he was actually the first legal non-binary person, Jamie Shoup. And as he's recounting his story, I want you to notice one of the paragraphs that he, he relays for us. He says, after having watched pornography for years while in the army, notice this, and being married to a woman who resisted my demands to become the ideal female. That's in quotes, you know, the ideal female who doesn't exist because this is about lies. I became that female instead, at least in my head. Now, I've been human and a pastor long enough to know that in our heads, there's some stuff that goes on. And we need someone who can direct us to the one who created us to help sort that out. So I want you to know that we're not throwing punches. We're actually extending open hands to you. And if you're wrestling with any kind of crossing the line sexual ethic, then we're here for you. We'd love to connect. We'd love to start a conversation, dialogue. We'd like to chat with you. We'd like to explore what God has in mind for your life. Maybe some kind of healing or hope that only he can provide through his power. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being with us, no matter what's going on, good seasons, bad seasons, even in the unfortunate events that unfold in our lives. Thank you for your promise that you're there, even when we don't feel it. But Father, right now we want to surrender to you, to who you are, and allow you to take who we are in this very moment and allow you to mold us, to work in our minds, so that we can become who you want us to be. Father, right now we want to surrender to the authority of your word. We want to surrender to the wholeness, the integrity that your word inspires in our lives. But Father, for some of us, we, we want to draw a line, a line that's been lost, and say, I'm no better than anyone. I'm only different because of this guy, Jesus, in my life and the power that he brings. But I want to draw a line in the sand because I know that this seems right in the moment. But when this plays out, it's not going to work out well. So right now, Father, we're going to stand. We're going to sing to you. We're going to praise you for who you are. We're going to be reminded of what you have done for each and every one of us on the cross. 
We're going to remember the moments where we were inspired to break that communion cup in our hands. We're going to think about our current struggles. We're going to do some active repentance right now, Father. And whatever that means, we want to move forward in you. So we give this time over to you and the leading of your spirit. And we praise you in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. And we praise you for being with us.